The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the California Border Regents, or the loved ones of one George Floyd. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the June 2nd, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. Today, Ben Leffel, PhD candidate in the Department of Sociology and Public Impact Distinguished Fellow at UCI, returns with leading edge opportunities with which municipal leadership can take up in climate change, especially in the age of COVID. In the second segment, Mine Win, community organizer at Orange County Communities Organized for Responsible Development, has a campaign to bring to our attention Safety Net for All, offering some relief to undocumented residents in need during the pandemic. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to the show. Returning to this program is my first guest, Benjamin Leffel, PhD candidate in the Department of Sociology at UCI to take up urban mapping tools as we move deeper into the COVID pandemic. Ben completed his Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science at Otterbein University in Ohio and his Master's of Arts in International Affairs from the School of International Service at the American University. His research on city diplomacy, transnational city networks, global climate finance, and relations with China has been published in several journals, including the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. He's also done research with the Clinton State Department and British Government Office for Science. Among the grants he's been awarded are National Science Foundation Documentation Dissertation Research Improvement Grant, the Kugelman Citizenship Peacebuilding Research Fellowship, the UCI Innovative Learning Technology Initiative, and the Long U.S.-China Institute Research Grant. And he was recently named a UCI Public Impact Distinguished Fellow. Ben is speaking today from his home this day, May 29th. Welcome back now to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor, Ben LaFell. Hi, hi, hi. Good to be here. It's good to have you back on. Well, healthy recovery is a mantra for all processes underway. So let's begin with the more the federal government abdicates on its leadership role in climate management, the more institutions look to ever more decentralized mechanisms. So the more ambitious than the national government's commitments are the municipal ones that you're dealing with. It's so ironic, it's sad, Talk about the proof of concept prototypes that seem promising to you on the municipal level. Some, some people that, that I admire a great deal who, I, who are really leaders in the global climate data analytics community, people like Angel Shu, people in the data-driven and viral lab, Amy Weinberger, other folks uh, that are working on um, some really advanced solutions right now. Um, begins with the observation that we need more data, we need more facility-level data. There are big gaps at the most local of levels, which is where all emissions come from, that we need to account better for. And, and then, facility-level, is that meaning 
at where the, the corporations are located? Is it mm -hmm. a subset of That's the right. municipal government or all the above? It's facility level is really end of pipe. Okay. End of pipe. So, uh, you know, the think about the vents and the individual conveyances which emit the greenhouse gases. And what actions are they taking? And this is something that folks at the data-driven Enviro Lab, right? They're at Yale, NUS, Singapore. I spent some time with their lab last summer, but you know, they're, they're working on innovative solutions for how do we track the cities and the corporations and the other non-state actors around the world? What action are they taking on, on climate change? We know what national governments are doing, but what are local governments, what are corporations doing? How can we track their emissions? How can we track what they're doing? Because climate change is something that requires big data solutions and data that doesn't exist yet. And we need it. And right now, we, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and emissions have gone down. But I, I anticipate that when we return to business as usual, unfortunately, I think we're so addicted to capitalism and economic growth and profit maximization that we will rush headlong back into not just business as usual, but even with more vigor. And so I think, uh, unfortunately, and I, I don't think this should be the case, right? I, I would say green stimulus all the way, Green New Deal, et cetera. But I anticipate that the way that the world uh, will go when we return to business as usual is that we'll emit even more than we were before, just because we missed going out and consuming the amount of energy that we used to and burning the amount of fuels and just all of that activity that we've been isolating ourselves from. Um, and so when, when that occurs, we have to go back to asking the question of, okay, well, how do, we, how do we solve climate change problems? How do we get corporations and cities, yes. those entities that emit the most, how do we get them to uh, reduce emissions? Well, we need to track that. And uh, the best way uh, of doing that is looking at technological solutions, new technologies like blockchain. And that phrase scares a lot of people. Well, what does it mean? Is it Bitcoin? Okay, let me just simplify it. Um, advanced data tracking and sharing. So a good example is, let's suppose that in Irvine, uh, there are two companies that are tracking their greenhouse gas emissions. They're tracking their, how much money they're spending on retrofitting their, you know, their exhaust systems for heating and cooling, et cetera. And let's suppose the city is also tracking the same data for themselves. I mean, that's what cities do. That's what city of Irvine is doing. And one thing, and tracking maybe their commutes. Now, we're, since we're becoming a little decentralized in our work patterns, mm -hmm. maybe that we could, that's part of the accounting system. Well, how do we make visible to those different actors, what it is that they're doing. And so using emerging technologies to track what cities and companies around the world are doing is something that, that for instance, the data-driven Enviro Lab and Angel Shu in particular, who is um, you know, a leader in the data, climate data analytics community, you know, she, she won a, a half million dollar grant from NSF. To uh, over at Yale, correct? Uh, she's at Yale in the U.S., which is National University of Singapore, Yale campus, but she's moving over to um, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, right. to look at, and this is part of a larger initiative that, that's also you know, based out of Yale and, um, and other folks are joining on too, is how do we create a better accounting framework from the bottom up of okay. what cities and companies are doing, how much they're emitting, what initiatives are they taking, how much, you know, and 
a good way of doing that is by using emerging technologies like blockchain. And what that is, is it allows, let's say, it's think of a peer-to-peer -peer network. Do you remember Frostwire and Live and, and uh, like Livewire, right? Like peer-to-peer -peer networks where you could um, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, a lot, a lot of people. I mean, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people in my generation, we downloaded music that uh, that way, and I, I don't think it was necessarily legal. But in any case, um, it was. You were doing it. It was a system. Uh, yeah, it was a system. It basically, peer-to-peer -peer networks allows. Uh, let's say you and I are on the same system, and we can share information with uh, with one another at the transaction level. Was uh, it, would a homeowners association be a good peer-to-peer -peer network? Yeah, okay. it would. And so it, it enables data sharing where there currently is not. And so, I mean, the, the last let me put it, the, the last time I was on this program, we, we talked about Irvine and how you know myself and former Mayor Agren and others we kind of uh, unearthed the uh, the archives of how Irvine came to be, the birthing site of ICLE, International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives. Uh, biggest environmental city network in the world, right? And that right. resulted from Sherwood Rowland and UC, other UCI folks and the uh, Mayor Agron at the time getting together and saying, hey, let's innovate bottom-up solutions in that very same tradition, in honor of that tradition, right? And taking this idea that we need to figure out how better to account for uh, city-level and company-level sustainability data. I had been talking for a while to an informatics PhD candidate Richard Martinez, great guy, visionary guy. He's somebody who um, is a computer scientist, right? He already experiments with how do we use technology for public good? You know, for example, you know, let's say low-income neighborhoods uh, in LA, there are people who are looking to rent, but how do they know where the new openings are? Well, they could, you know, blockchain could be used to track where those new vacancies are. And so, you know, I'm talking to him, uh, you know, about climate action planning and Long story short, we are now, you know, we're now working together and trying to figure out how can we, particularly with the wind at our backs with, you know, the Irvine tradition of environmental innovation, how can we talk to, let, let's talk to local companies, which we okay. currently are, um, and the city government and see, maybe we can work with the, a couple companies uh, that I won't name right now, but we are looking for you will more, the next time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we need more companies to, uh, to work with, but essentially, we know that there are companies within Irvine that are dedicated to sustainability. They report to, they, they disclose their emissions, their, uh, you know, what incentives they use, all manner of their sustainability, you know, their supply chain, um, all manner of their sustainability efforts. They kind of report that to these global repositories like CDP, like Carbon Disclosure Project and so mm -hmm. forth. So that they could signal to the rest of the global market, look at me, here's what I'm doing, and we're part of the solution, not part of the problem, et cetera. But for a city government that is trying to implement its first climate action plan, how do they know what their companies are doing? Is there not a better way? Yes, there is. And that's why we're uh, talking to a couple of companies and we're looking for more. Are they, then they, what sector are the companies in? I'm not trying to crowd you here on disclosing, but just, is it a tech company? Are they manufacturing goods or what, what's, was that a? These are professional service, uh, service providers. I mean, one of them is in the, um, one of them is in the cosmetics business and the other one's in like professional accounting and, and auditing. Okay. That's helpful. Um, yeah. So, so we're, we're talking to these companies and we're slowly making progress. I mean, experimenting with this kind of thing during a pandemic is, is not ideal, but 
what we want to do is, and we're generating interest for is, what are your, you know, we know that these companies are involved, dedicated to sustainability. Would you be interested in us exploring, particularly, you know, using Richard's skills and uh, seeing how, what might an ecosystem, what might a data sharing ecosystem look like okay. for you to better track your sustainability efforts? And might you benefit with sharing that data in a peer-to-peer network with other companies locally uh, that are, are also engaged in sustainability efforts? And what about the city government? You know, and benefit, this, you mean by benefiting their bottom line, benefiting their being good neighbors in the civic sense? I mean, is that what you mean by... All of the above. All, everything. All, of the, all, all of the above. So in terms of planning, might the city government benefit from knowing what local companies are doing? Yes, absolutely. Imagine you know, the, the mayor being asked, well, what are you doing for sustainability? Well, we have a climate action plan. Oh, by the way, let me look at the numbers and see just how um, sustainable our companies are by looking at, at a blockchain network that, that we're part of. That's how you build a smart city. And then that's, you know, that, that's actually originally what Richard was saying. Okay. It's true. If, if that is how you would kind of build a smart city is for those different private sector entities to be integrated and in sharing data on their sustainability efforts with the, with the city. I mean, that, that, it's extraordinary data power to share that information and it shared knowledge of the sustainability of the energy use of the emissions change over time, of what kind of initiatives are going on at the, among these different companies that can promote competition in green, in, in sustainability. It can also promote more, gr- more sustainable growth. That is to say like green growth, that kind of thing. The, the city can say, well, look at Here's what we're the doing, we're innovating. Here mm-hmm. is what we're, let me give you a picture in the numbers of how sustainable <sighs> our city is with a level of granularity and richness that has not been seen before. I think that is the fitting innovation for Irvine. Wow. That is something that we should shoot for. And that's exactly the idea. Wow. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Ben Leffeld, PhD candidate in sociology at UCI, co-creator of the Center for Innovative Diplomacy Digital Archive, and a UCI Public Impact Distinguished Fellow. Man, my, I'm feeling better already. It's like an endorphin kicking in. He's hearing that, I mean, this is like the shiny object and all shiny objects, Ben, to, to bring to a, I'd say, a reticent to lead city council in Irvine and a variation, a variability of corporate contributors, a corporate neighbors within the city. Yeah, if we get, if our proof of concept gets if we succeed in creating a proof of concept that shows here is a blockchain ecosystem or a data tracking network that we can create digitally that you know, Richard would, would design. Because he's the one, he, I mean, I, I, I'm the social scientist. I, and and although, though I'm a quantitative social sure. scientist and I do statistical analysis, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not under the training he does uh, in, in actually building these blockchain ecosystems. But if we succeed, in getting, let's say, these two companies to share data with one another uh, on a network that is secure and 
you know, they're, they're, they're sharing here, here's what our energy usage is, here's what our emissions are, here are the investments that we are making, and they do it in a secure way that doesn't reveal trade secrets, but does reveal to one another, you know, here, here, this is useful information. And we will then take that to the city government and say, here's this, if we can get, would you be interested in joining this? And this would have to involve the, this network. This would have to involve the consent of all parties. But the, res, the desired result is that the public and the private sector would be communicating with one another directly, securely, with numbers in sustainability, and that would be a smart city approach for advancing sustainability in economic growth, advancing sustainability in public-private partnership. Here is how we can um, reduce energy use. Here's how we can work together. You know, the, the the sky's the limit on it. But it's exciting to me because of the innovation of the innovation opportunity uh, that it provides and. Beyond that, what if what if that works for the city? Right, uh, and that's and that's a good scale. thing. I want to mention it's a good time for that kind of innovation. Where this, we're in the season where the city of Irvine is leading the municipalities around Orange County with adopting a climate action program, and so they're that's they're right, feeling that yeah. leadership kind of momentum, and so they can tack on to this initiative as well and lead. Yeah, it, yeah, the. Um, I know that uh, uh, Kathleen Treceder and um, Jose Castaneda, who works with them. He is the climate action administrator. Activist. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and, and, mul- and multiple other people, mm-hmm. uh, Patty Yu and others, they've done a marvelous job of um, bringing uh, community choice energy as an innovation for the Orange County area and getting other cities to join. And so they've been doing great work. You know, and good urban climate action is many different building blocks. And um, and one 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 does wonder, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting to see now that you've brought that up? I, I should probably talk to them and see. Uh, you know, maybe there's an application there with community choice energy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, that, that, that's a worthwhile conversation. And I'm it's the next you, step. I'm I'm glad that uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of different potential next steps, but I'm glad you brought that up. And I think I'm gonna, now, now that you mentioned it, I'm gonna kind of post about it and ask them. Yeah, I'm gonna go into their into their Facebook group here. Anyway, but yes, no, very good point. And right, ball, ball back in your court. Well, no ball, we're gonna all carry this ball because it's, so the recovery must improve the resilience of our cities and communities. So that's that's some uh, in a common dreams article. I think you wrote, correct? Is that your article, or that's one no. you shared with me? Okay, I, I, I think it's, I think I think it's one I share with you. But that that's okay. what everyone is thinking about right now. Green so, stimulus. Right. So how about a particular pathway to t- take this initiative? A direction you'd suggest, and always keeping in mind as you're laying this innovation out for us, Ben, is what you think listeners, what is their next move in trying to help create some of the momentum so that best practices kick in sooner than later? Hmm. Green stimulus, green recovery. How do we not lose the momentum that we've sort of gained by doing nothing? That is to say, we have slowed it down during the pandemic. By doing our, things differently. I wouldn't say doing, doing nothing. Things, by doing things differently. 
And while that has been slowing down things economically, it, is, it also has been building momentum in a sustainable direction. And the question is, when we return to business as usual, will we continue that momentum? I think a paradigm shift is appropriate to change the way you look at how we are doing things differently. Are we slowing down? Well, economically, in terms of economic growth, perhaps, but let's not forget that we also were, ex during this period in which we are working from home, uh, in which we are minimizing those, minimizing our travel and activities, our energy consumption to uh, only to what is most necessary. That is momentum. That's actually progress. It's fairly direct progress. How can we keep that up? Progress in the way of, of sustainability, right? Because right. we should want to figure out how to, how to do less. And um, it, it, it is slightly different from what we were talking about before. You well, know, it's in the blockchain. It's in the blockchain data we're tracking how all of those things that are giving us momentum in, mm, in the uh, Green yeah. New Deal. So that should, that's somewhere there is a blockchain path, a blockchain category. Um, well, I mean, what, what data, what, what data, what data tracking needs, um, what data tracking needs are emerging from, from all this? I mean, uh, we could call it, it's the pre-March that's and Mar Friday the 13th. That's sort of my line where I'm thinking where things really started to ramp up. But it's sort of the blockchain tracking the difference in consumption on either side of Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the, just to that, be dramatic that, and truthful at the same time. That's a good point. Um, yeah, that, that would be. I mean, how, how can we achieve green stimulus? So there's a pretty well circulated at this point a green stimulus proposal that was put forth by a lot of great thinkers like right. Daniel Cohen at UPenn and many and many others, and you know it talks about a, was a green foreign policy right um, okay, and you know that involves you know having a climate envoy again that helps uh, facilitate international cooperation and um, at the same time. How do we um, how do we create jobs in the recovery period? Is there a climate envoy right now, or I, this, it's municipal? There's all it's all decentralized envoys. It might all be it might all be decentralized. Yeah, though there's a lot of people who left DC when the Trump administration moved in. Yeah, a lot of people. That, yeah, they moved. Some of them moved out to California. Actually, a lot of that talent left uh, left State Department. You know. Trump's climate denial and, and, and putting Scott Pruitt in there and didn't help anything. But how do we create uh, jobs that are renewable energy uh, would be is one important question. What one thing we saw is that global demand for oil and coal and fossil fuels dropped during the pandemic and and how and uh, and uh, demand for renewable electricity increased. And one reason for that, I think, is because, well, renewable electricity, you don't have to ship anything. The infrastructure is already there. It's so the distributed energy is part of, the blockchain can be working that. I, 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 I suppose path. so. I mean, really, I mean, we're not really necessarily uh, talking about uh, data tracking right now. Okay. Uh, although, although it's job creation. Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they're not necessarily separate, but I haven't really put enough time into thinking about um, how can we use data tracking to improve green green recovery. Although I really should. 
I think researchers across the board should be thinking uh, thinking about that, right? I was studying you know how substate and uh, you know non-state actors were reducing emissions before the pandemic, and now there's this brand new context of um, the pandemic and the need to this enormous economic shock. How do we create jobs again? And Ben, um, while we're talking about that, I'm thinking with the pandemic, we're training a whole fleet of contact tracers. And so that they have an application, there could be a green, green economy transfer of that skill into other tracking, energy consumption, any kind of, of um, consumption. Yeah, that, 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 that's very true. I guess I would start with the fact that if we are to bring those millions and millions of people back into employment with jobs, not just any jobs, good ones, but job, we have ones that be. are sustainable, right. ones that are climate friendly, that's what, the green stimulus, that's what the green stimulus proposal is all about. And how to achieve that is a very important thing. That's a con that for all of us that were studying a, B, and C things in the social uh, and environmental worlds before, like, well, we now have to make as valuable a contribution as we can. We have to adapt to this context. What are some of the things now that we have to think about? And that would include, well, if I'm studying climate change and how to reduce emissions and how to track them and how to get cities and, and firms to work together and share data and have a bottom-up impact around the world, et cetera, et cetera, I also have to reconcile that with, the, with this context of this economic shock, millions and millions of people out of work. Okay, permanently. Uh, that that uh, not 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 not. Some of them are. That's that's why the 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 demand is I, in my mind so intense because some some of these jobs aren't going to come back. Oh uh, well. Uh, so how how do you how do you create how do you create jobs? I mean, if it's if it's you know if, if it's fossil fuel based jobs, it's about time we switch over anyway. Right. And this, you know, we need we needed the Green New Deal before the pandemic. Now we need it even more. And you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, there was this Trump survey <laughs> in YouTube, and I'm like, I don't know why it was advertising me, uh, but I, I looked at it and I clicked it, and it said, and and there, there was of course all these bad faith answers like, do you it, like do you want to live in a thriving capitalist country? Or a radical socialist country. Never mind that that's real, that's really insulting the intelligence of uh, the person taking the survey. And <laughs> never mind that we need socialism, democratic socialism, obviously now more than we ever, ever, ever have needed before. But the most um, offensive part of that was, oh, do you would you be upset if your taxes were raised for the ninety-three trillion dollar Green New Deal? Now I don't know if that number aren't uh, number one. I don't know if that, that's an accurate figure. And number two. I, I frankly don't care if my taxes were raised. I mean, the, although we should tax the rich and um, to make that happen, but we need the Green New Deal now more, more than ever because that can create, this is part of the proposal, that can create those energy sector jobs, renewable energy sector jobs that can pull us out right. of perhaps the worst recession we've seen in the neighborhood of 100 years. We needed it before to save the planet and create a sustainable economy. Now is a triage situation. Economically, we're bleeding out and people need jobs. The government needs to step in and actually reinvest our tax dollars, not in the military, which we squander our national wealth on every year, but on a Green New Deal in which we provide for um, we, we provide for those renewable energy sector jobs. 
that are sustainable jobs, sustainable not just environmentally, but because they will last, that demand will continue to be there. And also, uh, you know, help adjust for other aspects of our severely broken system in this country where the United States is the wealthiest country in the world, but it's worth nothing because we squander it every year on multiple things. I don't even have to get into how, how we don't tax the rich, but I'll, and, um, uh, and how we, you know, we have a defense budget that is unacceptable, but also that we, we don't treat education and healthcare for what they are. They are human rights and we don't allow, we don't, it's almost ironic. It's a tragic irony that we're the wealthiest country in the world, and yet we don't have, we, we don't, that we, number one, we don't have a Green New Deal. Number two, we don't uh, have universal health care. Number three, that we don't fully subsidize uh, higher education. No one should have to take out student loans. That, that's, it's ridiculous anywhere, but particularly here. So the sustainability goes into many other areas. But right now, it, it all points to that to save the environment, but also to save the economy now. We need the Green New Deal to save the environment and to save the economy down the road in terms of making it more sustainable. But now during the pandemic, we need the Green New Deal to save the economy and to save the environment. Equally so. Hence the work recovery term. Exactly. And there's this propaganda that's going around, particularly put up at the Trump campaign that says, oh, well, would you be upset that your taxes were raised? How about that we as Americans actually get a fair return on our investment? Of that's it. And that's where the blockchain can also contribute to nailing down the data, what your return is on your investment uh, yeah. as a taxpayer. Uh, on that note, I thank you for laying out this whole paradigm that's so hopeful. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me. My guest was Ben Leffel, UCI PhD candidate in sociology co-creator of the Center for Innovation, Diplomacy, Digital Archive, and a UCI Public Impact Distinguished Fellow. You can listen to the extended portion of this interview posted in part two of this June 2nd, 2020 program on my website, askaleader.com. Stay tuned for my next guest, community organizer with OCORD, Mai Nguyen who will post us on the Safety Net for All of Us campaign underway in the state of California. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. My next guest is Mai Nguyen, here today to talk about safety net for all. Mai was born in Vietnam and grew up in Kansas City. He began organizing in 2011 after his attendance at Youth Leadership Institute, where he learned about institutionalized oppression and social issues understanding the power of advocacy and after hearing the stories of inspirational undocumented friends he began advocating for undocumented students with kansas missouri dream alliance for in-state tuition within missouri as a homeless teen himself he became a proponent of homeless youth in his capacity as a missouri ambassador in the youth service of america He moved to Orange County in 2018, 
where he's been working as the citizenship volunteer coordinator at Orange County Communities Organized for Responsible Development, or OCORD, as I will call it later in the interview, where he's continuing his advocacy within the immigrant community, providing free naturalization services where I first became acquainted with my. As a community organizer at OCORD, my deals with housing, labor, and economic development policies. Mai is also a board member of Viet Rainbow of Orange County, a local Vietnamese LGBTQ plus organization. He speaks to us from his home this day, May 29th. Welcome to the show, Mai Nguyen. Thank you, Claudia, uh, and hello, everyone. Well, I want to have you bonus up on what exactly the safety net for all is and uh, how it is sort of an increment beyond what California's Governor Newsom has offered undocumented households and how people qualify for this. Yes, definitely. So what's happening right now is the current revised budget does not include any form of income support for undocumented Californians. Zero. Uh, zero. This is excluding one in 10 California workers from basic safety net due to immigration statuses, especially for um, a crisis of this scale. And so the push right now is that it's a grassroots-led movement where we're asking state legislators to support a legislation on providing a weekly partial income replacement for undocumented workers that are currently impacted by COVID. This is in hope to provide at least eight weeks of income. What's currently happening is, is that we do recognize there is currently a one-time payment that will help undocumented families, but that one-time payment is a single $500 grant. It's definitely a Band-Aid to a open chest issue. And so, you know, we're, we're really pushing for a support that will further provide a net to, to support our undocumented communities, especially within the June budget. So I think of all the need here, where already in the national body politic, the kinds of programs that undocumented people were for a while being were able to count on in terms of public health and education all that so a good deal of those have been gradually or abruptly continually taken away so the resources are there's like a must be a, a negative income situation with undocumented households at this point Yes. And, you know, um, a lot of folks talked about these supports, right? So for other folks that, you know, does have immigration statuses, you know, we're uh, at least eligible for unemployment, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, community members that are undocumented workers do pay taxes and is not eligible for these services. And so what we're asking for is an extension to that within our state. And that you said for eight weeks. So is there a formula for members in a household or is it per person? How does that would it work in the draft legislation safety net for all my? Yeah. So, you know, in part of this, right, is we're hoping that our legislators are um, taking lead and providing support in figuring this out together. Um, we believe that, you know, this, this work 
can be developed or this plan could be co-developed by community leaders and community. Um, what's happening right now is we have 14 state legislators led by Assembly Member Ash Kara that, you know, is proposing this, right? And, you know, what's happening right now is, is that the budget committee from both uh, the state representative and the state senate are in meeting right now. And what we're looking to have is to at least put us on the agenda, right? At least put this proposal on the agenda so that something could be co-developed bipartisan, right? Or from all leaders. So tell me about other organizations at Accords coalescing to advance safety net for all. Yeah, so there's over actually a hundred different organizations right now that have been supportive of wow. the legislation and bill. This is in connect with our national and state network called Partnership for Working Families. You know, we're a cohort of different organizations from all over, you know, uh, California, from Northern California to Southern California in, in support of this issue. So, and up to 100. And there, are, are there sort of regional clusters where all this activism is coming from, or is it pretty, is it pretty much all over the state? I, so we can sort of map out and appreciate where this is coming from. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty much all over states. You know, we have um, organization from Sacramento, San Francisco to, you know, Central Valley, mm -hmm. and even as far as San Diego that are supporting this legislation. It's because, you know, if we really look at the labor force in these job losses, you're talking about one in four pandemic job losses in California hits non-citizens, right, or non-citizen wow. immigrants. And so these folks are the backbone to um, the industries that are impacted by it, right? And so that's why you see a broad span of organization from all over California supporting this. Well, you're a real seasoned activist in terms of where undocumented constituents contribute to the economy, among others. And I mean, there's, a, there's so many social goods, but the... So the proponents for the safety net for all making the case that if this labor force isn't supported in some ways, they disappear, I mean, in whatever form. And how can the California economy continue without that contribution? Exactly. And, you know, it's not just what they can do for us, right? But it's definitely during the times like this that our character as Americans are being looked at, right? In a sense of, are we Americans will be in history extending our arms to help all community members that are impacted by COVID, right? And speaking of this, is that our characters will be judged in history and we are being looked at right now by the course of our actions. You know, uh, we have families, you know, um, that talked about how mothers are telling their children to sleep more because they're cutting, um, you know, their food expenses because if they were to eat less and sleep more, that they would still be able to retain their energy, right? Oh my um, it's stories like these that are is not being uplifted uh, during COVID and stories like these that are not being heard. And this is why it's so important for us to push for such policies because these are fellow neighbors, our brothers and sisters um, that are, you know, experiencing this with all of us. Well, you're making my mind go into places where there are informal jobs that aren't healthy jobs to take up. Do you have also 
either anecdotal or some hard numbers about where those kinds of jobs are being taken up? You know where I'm thinking. Unfortunately, I don't have any uh, facts on hand, though we do collaborate with different labor unions, right? And one of the things that that's currently is being figured out is, is that we've called folks essential workers, right? Yes. Right now, trying to uphold, you know, our economy, you know, and we're looking at folks that are working at companies like Amazon. And that's still a fight in itself because it's those folks that are trying to figure out a safer way to continue to work, right? Because not only are they working, but they're putting themselves and their family at risk right. um, while working. You know, I think in those conversations, it's it's a huge issue of its own, you know, when we're talking about our local officials right now, the OC Board of Supervisors, considering a rescinding of um, requirement for mask wearing. And so, yeah, I mean, I can go, (laughs) I I can definitely, you know, dive into that conversation as well. And Well, I think that you bring up a point about sort of there's an opportunity cost to a campaign that is underway in Orange County, among other places, where this bandwidth is being taken up to how to address this kind of flat earth thinking about the benefits of wearing face masks. And if we've got to work on put energy in that when we might be better advised to be putting energy in how we realize our good Samaritan roles and make sure everybody is covered. Yes. Do you have any other sort of anecdotal things about how people, I mean, that's extraordinary. We're talking about the having children sleep longer. So they're, using fewer calories yeah i mean with the layer to this is is figuring out about housing right there's documented communities not only being fear of immigration and deportation and finding their next meals but also finding ways to pay for rent and you know as community organizers like yourself or you know as leaders like yourself and i and other folks you know we often find ourselves in this constant educating role, right? And there had been, you know, a, a huge push in educating our community about eviction. You know, our community is not currently educated about what's happening with eviction right now, right? right. Uh, we hear about rent freeze and rent protection, but you're talking about, you know, months of economic impact being placed a burden on working class, being placed a burden on communities that has already not been able to afford rent and now continue to find yourself at a deeper hole. For me, my analogy is, is we're digging our own grave, unfortunately, and we need our leaders to step up so that we stop, you know, digging our own grave. I'm letting that sink in. For those of you who just joined us, my guest is Mine Win, community organizer at Orange County Communities for Responsible Development. We call it OCORD for short, and he's talking about the safety net for all legislation sponsored by 14 legislators in Sacramento to support undocumented households for uh, up to an eight week period. So uh, digging our own graves, as you were saying, where that has even a more vivid kind of impression now as we're more and more aware, keenly aware of the morbidity of this pandemic. That's powerful, Mai. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's just why it's so important to um, make our voices heard. And I think this is where um, we're facing challenges right now with the budget committee, right? I just recently got off our, our coalition meeting um, okay. earlier. And Hot tip. what we're finding out is just uh, doors are being closed in our faces right now uh, in the budget committee. I go to how effectively gay activists mobilized to make their case. And then when I think of now this constituency, undocumented households, that they don't have that luxury of putting themselves out there in high profile to make their case, they're in the double bind of being vulnerable and, and invisible. So. I, that's something you know about that makes that's a a page out of a brochure you don't get to use in your activism yeah uh that's a really good thing that you brought up with larry kramer you know when you're talking about you know the the hiv pandemic right and um the hiv and aids pandemic um activists who who had really been vocal about it right um yes you know our communities um are afraid you know our undocumented communities are afraid and I think the biggest thing that we're holding on to is hope, right? Um, and that, you know, we hope that our communities will um, really see this and that we hope that our communities will be inspired and continue to be motivated about being vocalized in, in you know, in our electoral process, right? To be vocal and to stand up and talk to our representatives in our respected areas and to be vocal about these issues in their area. Because right now, you know, with us, you know, like some of the budget committee members are out of our district, right? right. Um, and, and it's out of our zone. But, you know, we're not going to stop calling because, you know, we need our voices heard. But also about sharing our voices with other folks, right? And talking to our friends and families, you know, right? And being vocalized on platforms that, you know, we are visible in and recognizing that privilege, you know, um, as myself who has documentation, I recognize that I am privileged enough to be able to be vocalized and not be afraid, right? And to really use that as a leverage to echo the voices of the community that's being impacted. So my, let's send assignments out, send people with their homework here that are listening to this program. What are some of the effective things that listeners could do now and later on to follow and where best to follow these developments? Yeah, so right now we recognize that everyone has their own stress and struggles. I think the biggest piece is social media. Um, if you are on Facebook or Instagram or other network, uh, other social media platforms to look for organizations like ours, you know, okay. or Partnership for Working Families, you know, and other organizations are, that are being vocal and to follow them. Because a lot of our challenges right now is that, you know, our social media is flooded, right? Uh, since a lot of us are at home, um, are flooded with many things. But I think, you know, when we're scrolling in the morning after we wake up, I think it would be really helpful to follow local organizations that are trying to make a push and just to be attentive to what they're posting because um, a lot of the time it is in support of very important issues. 
So give us those websites so people can check in, yeah. enroll in some of the calling campaigns, the emailing, or I'm not sure if letter writing is something that is a value. Give us all the measures to follow up on. I do have a really fun thing. One of our local leaders had an idea of doing a origami session. And within the origami session, we will be writing safety nets. And what will happen is that Accord will be collecting on these origamis and we'll be sending that to our budget committee members and showing them that we're not only serious about these calls, but we're really sending them our hope you know, the historic symbolism of origami, right, was uh, derived from Japan. And we draw that, you know, that inspiration of the, the child who had cancer due to the nuclear bomb and who folded the thousand origami, right, uh, with prayers and with hope and with dreams. And we draw that inspiration to, to help send that to our elected officials in showing them that the community is putting their hope and their, their faith in our elected officials. So um, give us some particulars where that's going to be, when? I want to be there. Yeah, so um, so for the dates, we will be hosting um, a origami session on June 19 from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, to receive our sign-up registration or updates. You can follow us on Instagram uh, with the handle OCORD. O-C-C-O-R-D-O-C. So O-C-O-R-D, Orange County. Um, what if the, for, without Instagram accounts, how do other people follow this? Um, we are also on Facebook, which, you know, is another social media platform. And that is O-C-O-R-D.org, where you can also like and follow us on Facebook. And the last but not least is uh, I you know, would welcome anyone to directly contact me through my work email, which is my, M-Y, at O-C-O-R-D, O-C-C-O-R-D, dot org. For more particulars then. Okay. So the, the budget committee heard this, we're taking calls yesterday, and they, they convened in the afternoon. So where is this puppy chugging along now? So what we realized is that the, the mobilization has been happening for the past two, three weeks. Okay. So community members have been calling them. And what we found out is that there have been pegged strategies where the budget committee meetings are being flooded with other, other calls, right, or other priorities. And we're finding out that our members that are calling in isn't receiving queue uh, numbers for public comments. And this happened last Thursday. And so what we're really pushing for now is that we recognize that though we've been calling the representative, though we've been making public comment, the safety net conversation isn't even on the agenda. And so the biggest push right now is for next Tuesday, uh, where the budget committee will be meeting, convening again. um, And we're asking folks to join the, the budget committee call and to make a public comment again you know, and bring showing out in volumes. Yesterday, we have out of the calls that was allowed for public comment, 20% of those calls was in favor of safety net. And so uh, what we're pushing for is, is that 20% of the calls, public comment calls was in favor of this. That's pretty incredible. That's a good show. Agenda, right? Yeah. 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 Because 
let's face it, there's a, the bandwidth is getting filled with more pandemic issues than we can keep together in our imaginations. Oh my goodness. And you know, um, the other pushes, and I wanna bring back to what you talk about with Governor Newsom, is that you know a few weeks ago you know he did make a public comment about not approving any legislation that would put the state in deficit and you know we're we're really concerned about how our elected officials are looking at the budgets and how they are distributing these relief right and so we're really needing to push forward and being attentive to you know how our leaders are dividing this budget you know when we're talking about uh, subsidies and support. So are there any other, I mean, you talked about the 100 organizations, but are there other kinds of resources that are sort of a, like a, to match or to build on to a pipeline that's supporting this constituency? Yeah, thank you for asking. So as a board member of Rainbow of Orange County, the local LGBT Vietnamese organization, there have been efforts to provide local relief from our organizations. So uh, if you are directly impacted by COVID and have been attempting to call the relief hotline for undocumented uh, families and have not been put through, please feel free to uh, check out our resources. Uh, we're looking to release a third wave of funding. So we have already released over $10,000 in funding for undocumented families locally in Orange County, and we're looking to release more. And how can people get a hold? Of yeah, so once again, <laughs> you know, I think nowadays we're, we're very accessible on social media okay. than, uh, locally. And so um, you can follow our, our work or how to um, on Facebook and our uh, social media handle for both Facebook and Instagram is Viet, V-I-E-T, Rainbow, O-C. Okay. Uh, and there will be instructions for how to sign up to really relieve the funds to receive And the for everybody, I'll be putting this up in the podcast summary so people can go back to those links so they can feel like they can pay their privilege forward. They can... Uh, overcome a sense of helplessness because we know there's two pieces, the country's divided into two places. There, there are those that are managing, doing well, and those that are doing opposite of that. So sometimes contributing is, is the only way out of a helpless feeling. So are there any other pieces you want to implore the people follow or follow up on? Yeah, so, you know, so much issue, right? One of the few that I really want to highlight as an urgency is the conversation about public health and mandatory mask wearing. We're talking about COVID, right, who is impacting our community, not just economically, but also within our health. And so what's happening right now is, as we've seen what transpired in the last few weeks with the Orange County Board of Supervisors advocating for early opening of the economy, that showed really concerning about our leaders taking the appropriate step to keeping our community safe. And so what's happening right now is last week, you know, there had been a organized 
non-mask wearing group that are talking at the board of supervisors talking about rescinding the order for residents in Orange County to wear a mask in public spaces. And so what we're, we're really hoping that everyone could urgently um, be aware of and could get on is to really be vocalized about not rescinding that order. You know, um, it's not just about putting ourselves or protecting ourselves, but it's about protecting others. There's big factors, though you may not feel like you're infected, but you could be asymptomatic, right? Right. And so it's a big part about protecting our community. And so we're actively advocating for members that are uh, against board members on county supervisor board that are considering rescinding the orders, right? And these are the folks like Michelle Steele, Andrew Doe, Don Wagner, Lisa Barlett, Doug Chaffee, and, you know, uh, our other non-board member, but is appointed Frank Kemp, the CEO for the county. And so we're, we're asking anyone who's listened to this that lives in Orange County to reach out to these folks and um, sending them an email saying, hey, you know, we, we do not support the rescinding order for residents of Orange County to wear masks in public places. I think, my it's really instructive. I want to just suggest that listeners live stream the next board meeting, maybe several board meetings to, if they have the time, or they can go to the archive so they can get a feel for how unashamedly people are opposing the actual mask wearing. And I guess, and it makes me think that maybe modeling wearing masks in every impossible situation could reinforce the numbers are there of supporting those kinds of protocols. Yes. And I think also the lack of information, right? So the board members are, you know, not seeing like the numbers, our numbers are not going down at a satisfactory level. And the, the issue is, is that we look into the testing numbers for Orange County and the results. We're not doing enough testing, right? So our numbers are not fully accurately reflective to the communities are infected by COVID. So rescinding this mask order is very irresponsible considering, you know, our, our capacity to serve patients who has COVID in Orange County. Well, my, I really applaud how you're a real marvel in organizing. And I really appreciate with all on your plate that you've given us your valuable time today. Thank you for being on Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be on here. And thank you, everyone um, that is listening and um, is considering to take action. Thank you. My guest was Mai Nguyen, Community Organizer at Orange County Communities for Responsible Development, also known as Accord, talking today about the initiative under consideration in the California State Legislature, the initiative known as Safety Net for All. Well, that was my wrap. Next week, KUCI's very own and graduating senior, Claire Moore, will deliver her particular commencement address. We'll then hear from two public school teachers approaching their finish line for the school year of 2019-2020 in the Garden Grove District. Environmental science teacher, Terry Osborne, and biology teacher and ASB advisor, Cheryl Garcia. Talk with you next week. 
Thank you for listening, everyone. Be safe. Be very safe. Physical distancing is so important so that you are fit and can continue your protest. <laughs>